Well, here we are again for another episode of the Armchair Managers podcast. As we have now found out, Dan is a psychic because he knew that Lampard wouldn't be sacked after the Leicester game. We've got Team of the Year talk. And of course, as always, our predictions. I'm Ross Evans and my co-host Dan Newton. Hello. And, well, let's get straight into it. As we said, uh, breaking this morning, Frank Lampard has been sacked by Chelsea. What do you think of that, Dan? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, or like you said in the intro, I, I didn't think he'd get sacked after Leicester. And uh, technically, I was right. They, they waited till he beat Luton 3-1 and then sacked him. Um, yeah, I, I think it's unfortunate. I would have liked to have seen him go to the end of the season. But I, I understand why Chelsea have you know, made the decision now. Yeah, I mean, despite, uh, where are they in the league? About six or seventh? Something. Yeah, they're, uh, they're well outside the top four is, I think, the important part. They're down to ninth, actually. Yeah, they're ninth. And, well, they're only, only four points off the top five. Um, however, there are Aston Villa and Everton both have two games in hand on them. Uh, their, their form's not been great. They're really inconsistent, and Lampard seems to struggle to have got the best out of his sort of the younger talent player players, most notably Havertz and Werner. So, as much as you know, so I agree with you. I'd have kind of liked to have seen seen how long it would have lasted. You know, would he, they have been stuck playing in a sort of inconsistent manner, or would, or would he have turned it around? Um, it's you know he has from a Chelsea perspective you you can see why he had to go yeah well I think you know you alluded to it there I think the key reason he's gone is you know Havertz, Werner, Ziyech they weren't performing and those were the key yeah. signings I think ultimately Chelsea have decided to almost side with those players against Lampard and go well you know they've invested what like 200 million in those players yeah and million. they can't really just go out and you know get rid of them if Lampard you know, stays on as manager, they won't be able to get the money back from them. And they can't then yeah. go out and buy another £200 million worth of players. So I think ultimately they've gone, let's get a different manager in, see if he can actually get those players performing. Yeah, and I mean, got to say, it's, the issue definitely with Chelsea was, despite a uh, poor record in general, you would have to say that their issue mainly was probably going forward. You know, the defensive signings in Mendy, Thiago Silva and Chilwell all actually perform pretty well on a regular basis. But it, it doesn't matter how well your defence is performing. If they concede one and you don't score any, you still lose the game. So, do you, you know, it, the fact that he couldn't get the best out of his attacking players, you know, certainly I think as a manager going forward, do you reckon that's worrying? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said... Uh, money will always rule football nowadays and when you put that much financial investment into attacking players and then they don't perform then ultimately either they're gonna have to leave or the manager will and you know they've gone with the manager and like you said i think it was difficult for frank this year because you know in his first season he couldn't spend any money had to really work with the young players with his kind of philosophy and i think they're actually quite good to watch at times last year whereas this yeah. year you know so many players have come in They've lost that cohesion. They've lost that kind of playing style. I think ultimately, I don't think he could get them back on side, and I, you know, I think that's why he's gone. Yeah, um, and with this, uh, Chelsea are heavily linked to former PSG manager Thomas Tuchel. Do you think he'll be able to sort out the team cohesion and actually get the team playing in a way that is 
you know, representative of their ability. Potentially. Um, he's worked with very big players before when he was at PSG. Obviously got them into a Champions League final last season. Um, I'll be honest, I don't really know why he got sacked at PSG. It seemed like it wasn't going too badly. Maybe there was something off the pitch that I'm not really familiar with. But um, no, I, I think a big part of it is he obviously has that experience of managing in the Bundesliga, um, particularly earlier in his career. But I think, you know, Abramovich or whoever the directors are at Chelsea making the decision will probably think, well, they can get him in and hopefully he'll get Werner scoring 20 goals and get Havertz playing well again. Yeah. I mean, I guess the key for ha- with Havertz is play him in his position because, you know, we saw Lampard play him out on the left play him a bit deeper when he really should be playing in behind the striker that's sort of his best position even for Leverkusen he was uh, actually playing as a centre forward sort of striker role at times so you know is this a manager who do you think he'll try and be a bit more experimental or do you think that Chelsea are getting him in because he's just going to play the players where they need to play get a good system going and get them scoring again well he's a, he's a really intelligent I think manager um, Thomas Tuchel you know with He's known to be a bit of a tactician, so you never know. He might experiment a little bit, but I think Chelsea right now need to kind of just keep it a bit simple. Um, like you said, I think a big issue with Lampard was he kept just putting players in the wrong position, you know, playing Werner off the left, you know, Havertz off the right sometimes. It was just strange, you know, you think just put Werner up front, Havertz next to him, plays DH on the right wing, you know. it's. I think it's pretty simple what you do with that Chelsea team. It's just got a bit overcomplicated, I think. Because I think yeah. when the players weren't performing initially, Frank kind of thought, well, I've got to change something. I've got to tinker with it. Where really, I think if you just put their best 11 out there and let them get a run of games, see what happens then, I think it could have been a bit different. Yeah, and you know, looking forward for Chelsea as well. They play Wolverhampton Wanderers on Wednesday. Will they have a manager at the helm by that point? Or do you think they're probably going to see how that game under a caretaker manager? And um, so do you think that's going to sort of impact them? Because that could be a tough game to play. Yeah, I mean, well, Wolves have been a little bit disappointing this season. Um, well, as of Chelsea, so uh, it's difficult to say. From what I've heard from, you know, various sports journalists who are far more connected than we are, um, I think the the belief is that um, the manager will be in place by then. Um, or at least, you know, he'll be appointed, even if he's not on the touchline. So hopefully he'll be there. And um, if not, you know, I, I don't know who the caretaker would be. But um, yeah, it could be a tricky game for Chelsea. But I think if they can get the manager in, they, they probably should do well and hopefully perform again. Yeah, and we can only sort of say condolences to Lampard, but sorry, mate, you weren't good enough. So Yeah, I mean, I mean, what do you think the next move is for Lampard now that he's kind of blown his chance at Chelsea? Uh to be honest, I think it was a case of he took the wrong route going straight to the Premier League. He'd done one season at Derby and actually didn't take them anywhere. They didn't improve. They didn't get worse, but they didn't improve. I don't think their league position changed um, between the season before and then uh, him coming in. I think, as a lot of young British managers do, I think going to somewhere like Scotland would be quite good quite good for him but then really in Scotland in terms of being a competitive team you want Celtic or Rangers and obviously Rangers are flying under Gerrard this season so I think it was for Lampard he probably needs to go back to a lower division and cut his teeth a bit more and 
understand because maybe there's a bit of naivety in the Premier League management on Lampard's side. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it was, you know, too much too soon for him. And yeah. you know, I think if you contrast it with what Gerard's been doing at Rangers, you know, he's been there for quite a few years now and he's really kind of built up his experience and looks like he's going to finally win Rangers the title. And I have seen yeah. Lampard link to Celtics this morning, which um, would definitely be interesting to see him go up against Gerard as, as opposing managers. But uh, no, I think you're right. He needs to go somewhere that's a bit lower profile and kind of work out his playing philosophy again and go back to basics, I think. Yeah, and there's, there's this trend, and there has been for a few years with clubs and where they hire former players as managers when they've just really got into management and it's without without merit really what they do is a, just because you're a good player doesn't necessarily mean you're a good manager you know Zidane at Real Madrid being the outlier yeah I mean Pirlo's even, not even doing, Oli is kind of turned Pirlo around not, Man United now yeah yeah but uh, originally Oli at United they gave the difference with United is they've given him the time yeah. And he had some experience with other teams, you know, in, in his home country. He with I think Mould with Cardiff. He had a manager. He had managerial experience. Uh, Zidane had some manager, managerial experience with the uh, Real Madrid Castilla side, but Pirlo had what half a season with the Juve reserves before he's taken the management player. And their style, of, in my opinion, their style of play has actually regressed. Um, having said that, it's Juventus. They kind of, it's kind of a given that they win the league. Um, Lampard at Chelsea uh, didn't doesn't have the experience. He had one what one season at Derby, like I say, where he didn't really take them anywhere. You know, even going a bit further back when Sh- Alan Shearer got the Newcastle job, he was shit, and they still got relegated. So there's a trend where new where players who just become managers get hired by their old club. On what they did for the club, that that can't that's it's just evidence that it's not the greatest um, it's not the greatest business plan. So yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, you even look at you know Arteta. I know he's got the Arsenal job, and you know he's kind of improving. You know, but even he, you yeah. know, had a couple of seasons with Pep where he's assistant manager, which you know, yeah. gave him a little bit of experience. You know, you think of. You know, John Terry, who's been at Aston Villa for a long time now. And you kind of wonder, when's he going to get the chance to manage a team himself? But I think it's yeah. good that he's actually gone out and got a lot of experience first in the Championship and now for a team that's kind of pushing towards sort of the top half of the Premier League. Yeah. It's, it's, if the managers, you know, cut their teeth and they showed that they can do it at a lower level, then it's worth them making the step up, like they're really performing. But to just give them their first job at a high level and put that much pressure on them is is insane. Yeah, because now it's going to be a long time until Frank can get another high-profile job. Yeah, not just for Frank, but, you know, okay, Chelsea have the power to bring in Thomas Tuchel, but now you think that Chelsea are going to battle to try and get into just a Europa League spot, let alone top four. And has that helped or hindered Chelsea as a club? It's definitely hindered them. So that's another season, of, another mediocre season in Chelsea's book where, you know, we're really hoping with £200 million spent and, a, you know, on paper, a fantastic team, they should have been up there 
in top four quite comfortably, and they're not. Yeah. Do, do you think if last season, you know, Chelsea had the transfer ban, do you think if they hadn't had that, they wouldn't have gone with Frank? They would have gone with a more experienced manager in the first place? Um, I'm not. I'm not too sure on that. I think I'm not sure what influence the transfer ban had on Chelsea in terms of hiring. I think they might. They probably still would have gone with Lampard anyway. Um, what I think is that the signings we saw during the summer were as a result of not having any signings in the January window in the previous summer. It's just that oh, I need need new players in. They really spunked the budget rather than what they should have done was just say actually these players performed really well for me during that season where I couldn't bring anyone in. So I'll actually look to build around this core of player players with one or two key signings rather than trying to sign a whole new squad. Yeah, which I only uh, mentioned it because I remember at the time there's a lot of talk about how Frank was kind of brought in to try and sort of change the philosophy of Chelsea and go from being this club that spends 200 millions and sacks a manager every 18 months to, you know, club that actually tries to develop the youth. And I just thought maybe, you know, originally they brought him in kind of with not much pressure on him, you know, because they had the transfer ban. And I think the idea was give him a season to kind of develop and grow and then back him. But obviously that's not worked out because now that yeah. he has been backed, he's, he's wasted the money. Yeah, I mean, the difficulty is with their... I mean, Chelsea send out so many young players on loans, uh, on loan deals, that they probably their strongest youth players aren't at the club. And I'm not entirely sure recalling those players is just as easy as, you know, a, a FIFA game where you just press a button, you pay a fee, and he comes back. So there's probably something behind the scenes that goes on, meaning that those players can come back. But again, it's... Chelsea have a problem with developing players. They don't simply. Yeah. Um, it got a bit better under Lampard, but again, it's it's a worry for Chelsea that they've got such a fantastic youth system that pro- that produces players that um, do tend to perform at the top level or at a, a strong level later on in their career. But Chelsea just won't wait for that development. They want a star. They want him now, and they want him to be ready to go. And it's easier to buy than it is to develop. Yeah, but I I do think it's a bit of a shame that Chelsea have kind of completely undone all the potential good work they did last season. They've just gone back to their old ways. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's Chelsea, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. It's probably more for us forever thinking that they would change. Yeah, but as ever, we'll look forward to see what uh, Thomas Tuchel does with them. and you know, just have to keep an eye on Chelsea in the coming weeks. I'm sure we'll have that they'll crop up on the podcast again in the future episode. And while we're on that subject, if you are on Twitter, do follow us on Twitter to keep up with us and what we think about that. that the Twitter handle will be in the description of this podcast. But for now, we're going to move on to our the main segment of the show, which is going to be our team of the year. Now, as anyone who plays FIFA knows, if We'll know this coincides with the team of the year. This is not, we haven't just seen that and pinched the idea. We just thought with January done, we've had such a riotous last year, 1920, as we know, was torn apart. But... Well, where have you been? Aren't you? I know 2020 was bad. You didn't have to go back a century. <laughs> the 2019 2020 season. <laughs> 
was, as we know, ripped apart by the pandemic, and we have seen just some topsy-turvy games so far of the 2020-2021 season. So, looking forward to that, and looking through that, we've decided to pick out our 11, and then compare them against each other, and see who do we think actually has the stronger team of the year. I mean, I imagine they're probably going to be very similar, because when you've got key performers, they tend to be in everyone's team, but no, we'll have to see, we'll look forward. I'm going to start off with a goalkeeper. Dan, who did you go for? Well, I've gone with uh, Manuel Neuer at Bayern Munich. Um, I think he was just by far and away the best goalkeeper. He looked back to his best, and he's, he's always been one of those goalkeepers that on his day he kind of makes saves that you kind of question how he was able to get to it. And I think there's not a lot of goalkeepers that can do that. And for me, he's you know, he's just brilliant. And he won so many trophies that I kind of felt hard not including him. Yeah, okay, so you so are you kind of gone for what trophies he's won as well as his num- numbers? Yeah, I, I think we've had two slightly different approaches. I've kind of gone more off, you know, what they've won, how successful they were. But I think you've taken a more kind of analytical approach to it. Yes, I think I have, because based on that, I have gone for Jan Oblak from Atletico Madrid as the as my goalkeeper. Um, he has kept three more clean sheets in one less game between the start of the 2019 season and today, as of the stats that we've collected, as of um, today. He's kept three more clean sheets, 31 compared to 28. He has conceded 47 goals compared to Neuer's 83, and that is despite facing slightly more shots per game over the last two seasons. In the 1920 season, he faced 10.9 shots per game rather compared to Neuer's 9.3, and it, whereas this season he's on 9.8 compared to 10.6. So... I just think, despite not winning the trophies, the num I'm going with the numbers on this one. He's I think he's had a he's overlooked. He's one of those players who's overlooked for the award because he plays for a team that doesn't win the trophies. And I think that's more that they lack the quality in attack rather than they do in defence. I think he is probably the best keeper in the world. Yeah, I, he's certainly a good goalkeeper. He, you know, if we were doing a bench, he'd probably be my backup goalkeeper. But for me, I just look at Manuel Neuer and, I mean, like like I kind of said when I described him, he makes saves that I question how he's able to do that. And Oblak does that as well, I think. But, um, you know, Manuel Neuer kept a clean sheet in a Champions League final. I, I think that's more important than any other clean sheet. So, um, yeah. you know, for me, I, I, I do take into account the trophies and just how I feel when I watch a player. And, I mean, if, if I was picking, you know, an 11 to go out and play a game, I definitely pick Manuel Neuer. Yeah, I I can understand why. I think certainly, you know, if, if anyone's been watching uh, Ben Foster's YouTube channel, you see how a goalkeeper is constantly talking to his back four as well. So must take into consideration the command they have of their defensive unit, and Neuer's arguably got more experience with that. Um, and Neuer is a sweeper keeper as well, the, the fact that he's off his line, he's actually making interceptions rather than saves when the ball does go over the top. I can understand that that maybe puts him ahead in some people's books, but I think that Oblak is certainly, I think he's a stronger keeper. In, I think 
it's a tough choice if you wanted to keep her to make a save at a vital time, but I think I'd probably just edge Oblak. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, like I said, I think Oblak would probably be on my bench, but yeah, we can uh, agree to disagree on that one. Yes, I think we'll have to. Um, moving on, then. Uh, just Are you playing the standard 4-3-3? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So who did you consider at right-back, and then who did you pick? Um, to be honest, right back seemed kind of well. Well, I had actually two kind of questions about it, which maybe kind of spoiled one player I have picked. Is to me, I was looking at Trent at Liverpool, and obviously won the title. Does great numbers in terms of assists. Obviously, hasn't started this season very well, um, but he's done really well. Um, in the previous year, like I said, winning the title, and he's a key to how Liverpool play. So the question yeah. between me is: Do I put Trent in, or do I put Kimmich in at right back? Um, because I think Kimmich is a given how good he was for Bayern Munich and it just kind of comes down to what position you're going to fit him in but ultimately I've I've not put Kimmich in at right back which like I said probably spoils that I have put him in somewhere else and I have gone with Trent Alexander-Arnold at right back yeah yeah I am I've also gone for Trent Alexander-Arnold and I'll be honest, it was actually tight because I looked, at, statistically speaking, in terms of um, Danny Carvajal at Real Madrid, who's had a fair few injury problems, plays in a defence that has faced more shots per game than Liverpool did and have. And despite playing 17 less games, he kept the same amount of clean sheets and conceded less goals. But where I think Trent has edged it for me is his goal is his goal contributions. He's had twenty three goal contributions across all competitions since the beginning of the nineteen twenty season. And, you know, at, at times he was running the game from right back. It that's you know, to be able to do that is incredible. Yeah, he's and, a fantastically, you know, technically gifted footballer. And I think yeah. it kind of comes down to what do you want a right back? Do you want a creator or do you want a defender? And for me, I, I've gone with a more creator. Yeah, and I had to agree with you that the fact that Trent played in a Liverpool team that arguably wasn't playing its best football, despite winning the title, it just, it just wasn't playing its best football. It you know the Liverpool actually looked better the season before. Yeah. Um. But and you know Carvajal. Real Madrid, again, it's one of those teams that you kind of expect them to do well every single time. So, oh, they're having a bad season, but they still come third, you know. Whereas if Liverpool have a bad season, they might struggle to get top four, as we're seeing at the moment. So I think that Trent won to do it in the Liverpool side that, you know, as we've seen, certainly this season is struggling. Um, I think, yeah, I have to agree with you. Alexander-Arnold is, is, you know, probably the only choice at right-back, really. Yeah, I mean, he is struggling this season. I think he's been yeah. below par, but I think I have kind of based my decisions more on last season than the start of this one yeah. because it's hard to tell where it's going to end up. But um, yeah, I, I think most people would probably put him in. Yeah. So moving on then, who have you got as your centre-back pairing? Well, I've gone with, you know, um, Alexander Arnold's partner, um, Virgil van Dijk. Yeah. As my first one, um, I'll get on to my second one later on because it's definitely the most controversial one. Um, for me, I think Van Dijk is just the perfect centre-back. He's everything you want. You know, he, you know, we've seen him how much of an impact he's had when he hasn't played for Liverpool. 
they look significantly yeah. worse without him. And I think any kind of player that can have that much impact on a team has to be, you know, world class. And that's why I've put him in. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on Van Dyke. Like statistically he is up there with one of the you know, he's up there with the best centre backs. Um and as what he doesn't probably get enough praise for, and it's kind of what Liverpool is seeing at the moment when he's out in because of his injury, is his reading of the game is superb. And that is then that is what allows Alexander Arnold and Andrew Robertson to maraud up the pitch because they know that they've got the cover of Virgil van Dijk behind them. Because van Dijk, he's quick, he's tall, he's strong, he's everything you love in the defender and everything that attackers hate. So that cover he provides for the fullbacks is what allows them to get forward and contribute to the attack so much. And I think Trent's really this season as well, more than Robertson, is kind of being found out a little bit by not having that cover in behind them. He's having to defend a little bit more, so he's not getting his attacking numbers. And defensively, he's just looking... Trent's always been a bit shaky in defence. Yeah, I think definitely Trent is a worse player when he doesn't have Van Dijk with him. Probably why we don't see him as well when he um, plays for England. You know, he doesn't perform to the same level. I mean, a lot of that's yeah. to do with the system, but I think on Van Dijk as well, one thing Liverpool's missed is he's good on the ball. He can play those long, you know, 30, 40 yard pa- uh, passes out to the wingers or to the fullbacks. And I think Liverpool, yeah. when they don't have him in there, are a lot slower going from back to front. And I think that's definitely hurt them this year. Yeah, yeah. You can see that just, you know, in terms of league performance and cup performance, um, it's they're just not quite at it without him, are they? No, no, they're nowhere near the levels that they are when he's in the team. Yeah. Well, moving on, I've gone for his centre-back partner. I've gone for Sergio Ramos. It's just, again, how can you not... Simmer? He's very for What he does for Real Madrid is similar to what he does for... What Van Dijk does for Liverpool. Um, 26 clean sheets since the beginning of the 1920 season. 18 goal contributions from that is double what Van Dyke was putting in and admittedly he does take penalties yeah uh, probably what gets him up to those high levels yeah that is a ridiculous amount of contributions for a centre-back you know 12 in the 1920 season now at 35 appearances it's really what just under what one in three for a centre-back that is that's ridiculous. Um, and the way he commands his defensive unit, covers his fullbacks, that's sensational. I think. And I think I I think you'd be mad to overlook him. Well, I've not put him in. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, look. If I was picking this team purely on the individual performers with the stats, I I probably would. Because, like you said, he is fantastic. He's a great player. But I like to consider, you know, the context of the team and. Personally, yeah, I know they won. I think they, I think they won the league last year, and they won a trophy or two as well. But I wasn't a huge fan of Real Madrid. I think they performed poorly in the Champions League, and you know, I, I don't remember him having an impact on those games. And I kind of had to get someone in from this team that did perform well in the Champions League, and I couldn't really justify any other position, so I had to put someone in. So I've <laughs> very controversially gone with um Marquinhos of PSG because I had to what? get someone from PSG in and I went for him 
Oh my. Okay. Um, because I watch him and I think he's a really good player. I'm interested as to why. Do elaborate further beyond. Um, I mean, I had the... to get someone from PSG in. So I was like, all right, I could put Thiago Silva in. But I just, I don't really rate Thiago Silva that much as a player when I watch him. I think he gets found out against the top teams. Whereas Marquinhos, when I watch him, I'm always really impressed. And I think he's a very good defender. I know he plays TDM sometimes. But I think, you know, he definitely played well for PSG last year. Hence why they got to a Champions League final and won a domestic treble. So I had to get someone from PSG in. And I couldn't put anyone else in. So I had to put yeah. someone in so that I went with him. I'm just, according to Transfer Marked... So the 1920 season, he played 22 of his 37 appearances at defensive midfield. But this season, he is playing considerably more at centre back. Um, I'm I gotta be honest. I'm a, he's a good player, but I certainly wouldn't have put him uh, at centre back. That is, I mean, he is supposed to be a centre back. He just had to play CDA yeah. last year. Um, the thing is, though, like. I think PSG were hurt a lot because obviously their league campaign ended prematurely. So statistically, they're not going to look as good as the other players because they played significantly less games than them. Um, that is, so that's yeah. kind of why I was like, I need to get someone in. And I think over the course of a season, he would be up there. I mean, I don't think he'd score 11 goals or anything like Ramos, but I think in terms of clean sheets and everything, he, he would look really good over the course of a season. Like I said, I had to get someone in. It was between him and Thiago Silva. And like I said, I judge this based off how I feel when I watch a player. And I like the look of him. And I think he, I think he'd be brilliant in the Premier League, actually. But um, no, I, th I, th I think he's a good player. And I think in a couple of seasons, he might be in the team of the year based off his own individual performances and not because I had to get someone from PSG in. You know when I said I thought you'd be mental not to go for Ramos? Yeah, you, you think I'm mental, right? Yes, I think you're mental. I I certainly don't think he's of the calibre of either Ramos, Van Dijk. I still think that Thiago Silva is probably the better defender. Um, well, I think maybe I, I would have gone Thiago Silva if he hadn't gone to Chelsea and looked quite rubbish. So... I think maybe that has sullied my uh, my image of Thiago Silva. Poten potentially, um, you know, I would have thought that perhaps Mats Hummels, despite not winning anything at Dortmund, maybe a, I think maybe a, a their equivalent of the League Cup. I can't remember the name of it. Is it Deutsche Pokal, maybe? Uh, I don't remember which one it is. But I think he's only won one trophy since the beginning of the 2019-20 season, but Certainly, Mats Hummel's numbers are, I would have thought, much better, considering he solidly plays centre-back. 26 clean sheets and 9 goal contributions in 67 games. However, the goals conceded considerably higher at 83. I, maybe, maybe I would have considered him before I considered Marquinhos. Well, like I said, I, I definitely considering the context of the teams they played for and what they've won. I think that plays a huge part for me. Like, I know Real Madrid won trophies, but again, I wasn't that impressed with them. And you look at that league, like Barcelona were terrible. Like, 
they were definitely favorites to win all those trophies so that's just kind of how i feel like not to say ramos you know shouldn't be in there because i think like you said statistically he probably was one of the better defenders and he should be in there but i don't know i think trophies play a huge part in reaching champions league finals for the first time is huge i think also can you imagine him partnered with van dyke that'd be insane you're not getting past him and van dyke <laughs> i mean <laughs> i perhaps maybe haven't seen enough of marquinhos to make that decision but oh um, is he team of the year quality from what i have seen i'm not convinced look but, I, I, I said it before I, I i'm probably wrong on this and i'll say it again i had to get a psg player in i couldn't find anywhere else okay <laughs> definitely sign off on that um on twitter let us know what you think of that choice i think that's the first really controversial one um yeah i don't think anyone considered him to be honest <laughs> yeah well like i said I, I like to surprise people yeah yeah certainly do perhaps you'll surprise us with your choice for left back who did you consider first of all um well i think you know andy robertson has been fantastic for liverpool you know, he's a great creator, a lot like Trent on the other side. Probably better defensively. But again, I've gone for the player that I was really surprised with how much I liked him when I saw them play and how impressive they were. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think, like a lot of people, I've probably gone with the most exciting left-back in world football, who I think is Alfonso Davies um, from Bayern Munich. Yeah, I thought you might say Davies. Um it's brilliant, mate. I love watching him play. I, I've never seen a left-back be so good going forward. I mean, it's, it's obviously because he started out as a winger. But I think yeah. you look at that, you know, the match against Barcelona where he tore them to shreds. I think, you know, he's yeah. an incredibly talented player. Yeah. Um, yeah, statistically, there's not much difference between him and Robertson, actually. He, can, he conceded a few more goals. There's one game difference. He kept one less clean sheet and conceded five more goals and has six less goal contributions. Um, that's just bear on for these stats, not including substitute appearances. Um, that's really. Pre- I mean, I I thought Robertson just edged it for me. Really, partly, you, went, you went with Robertson. I went for Robertson, and I have to explain why. Because you're a Liverpool fan, that's why. I, I... <laughs> it's not, no, surprisingly, not because I'm a Liverpool fan, actually. Um, while I completely agree that Davies is, is an exciting prospect, he looks phenomenal when I watch him. He is lightning quick. Um, as you say, brilliant getting forward. Defensively, it, he's actually he's surprisingly solid as well for a convert, effectively a converted winger. Again, Bayern are one of the, what I find is the trophies that Bayern have won domestically you expect them to and yeah that... but they're they're also comfortably the best team in Europe and arguably one of the greatest ever teams based off how they performed against everyone else yeah it's certainly in Europe I think his performances are exceptional but again I'm going back to that argue of argument of Liverpool had an outstanding season and if we're basing that basing this on how they play the season for that season for the 2020 calendar year Liverpool were phenomenal to win the title 
you know, they had it wrapped up before lockdown happened, the first one. And okay, they've been a little shoddy, where in, well, little shoddy is an understatement in the start of this season, but I think that you would expect Bayern to win two of the domestic trophies as a minimum. And I, th- I actually hold that against Davies that he's walking, like, you know, when Ronaldo went to challenge himself in Italy, he joined a team that already dominates the league anyway. And that's the same case with Bayern. I actually hold that against players when they win domestic trophies. But but they also won the Champions League, you know, the, the team, the, the hardest trophy to win in the world. Yes, true. But I still think that, again, it was the hard... Would they... Bayern have probably have won that title without Davies playing at left back? Probably, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I disagree. I think he's a really key part of how they play because he he's he's so aggressive and he's so he's so quick that he can cover that left hand side pretty much by himself, and it allows Bayern, Bayern Munich to attack so ruthlessly and efficiently, and it allows David Alaba to play centre back who's been a, a huge performer for Bayern Munich last year. That was a big reason to why they won the Champions League. But also, also an excellent option at left-back. You know, had Davies... Yeah, been... that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, he allows them to have a better centre-back because they can move their left-back to centre-back. If if David Alaba has to play left-back, then they weaken their two centre-backs by playing someone who's not as good there. Yeah, I mean, I still... may Okay, maybe there is a little bit of Liverpool bias in it, but I think that... You know, Bayern were probably expected to do a sweep. And I think that I'm not entirely... If they do it again this season, then maybe I'll change my tune. But I've, I've gone for Robertson. And um, that that decision is final. Okay. Uh, like, I mean, I like Robertson. But um, I'm putting Davies in. Yeah, like yeah. 100% for me. I mean, it was very close between the two. But I just I think just playing for a team that is expected to dominate a league... And it's domestic competitions, despite winning the Champions League, it was a fantastic achievement. I think I just had to go for Robertson. Well, I mean, Robertson played for Liverpool, who were probably favourites last year for the title, and they did poorly in the Champions League and poorly in the domestic cup competitions. Yeah, true, true. You're, like, making, me sound, you're I, making me sound rather stupid here. Like, I know me putting in Marquinhos was ridiculous, but I think, you know. Logically, I think Davies should be ahead of Robertson. Mm, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but we'll have to let this one lie. Another case of agree to disagree. Okay, maybe, okay. Maybe not fully agree, agreeing to disagree. I think. <laughs> well, I, I think we'll agree on our midfielders a lot more. Yes, moving on. Um, just let's throw out some names in midfield. So who have we considered? Um, you know, who have we, do we think have been the top? midfielders so far like obviously um, again going by munich i considered thomas muller um tiago i thought you know they were two fantastic performers tiago yeah. doesn't do as much in terms of goals and assists but he's more of a you know i've we talked about it before the podcast i think he's probably got a lot of second assists and a lot of key passes yeah, yeah i'm i mean i've considered as a holding midfielder role i know you weren't a president but casemiro from real madrid i thought as a holding midfielder was rather impressive I, I like Casemiro um, again I, I just think that Real Madrid team didn't perform particularly well last season um, but yeah. no I, I do like him um, I think he's a good player yeah and 
of course, we've got to consider Bruno Fernandes. Uh, yeah. Some people still consider Luka Modric up there. I mean, it, it's fair. I mean, I don't know if I just hate Real Madrid. I, I never realised it. <laughs> I just, I, just, I don't, I don't think Modric's anywhere near it. I think he, I mean, he's a fantastic uh, player two or three seasons ago, but I, I yeah. just, I think he's past the peak, and I don't think he's really up there for the discussion. I think On you know, Luke... with how bad Real Madrid did in the Champions League last year, yeah, and how badly they've started this year, I don't know. I, I struggle to really put any of them in there for me. Just, just on Luca Modric, the year he won the Ballon d'Or. Oh god, do he won the think... Ballon d'Or, didn't I? I forgot about that. Yeah, do you think he was deserving of that, or do you think it was just that was almost people got caught up in the hype? I think because uh, sorry. I, I don't think. I don't think he deserved it. I think based off the fact that I forgot that he won it, I'm thinking he probably didn't deserve it. <laughs> he's an exception. He was an exceptional midfielder. We, you know, he still is. He's an exceptional player. But you know, it's given the Ballon d'Or because they reached. Okay, they reached the World Cup final. Yeah. Okay, that's a brilliant achievement. But again, was he? I don't know if. That's instrumental. I still think there are players who outperformed. You know, Messi's season. Had it not been for the World Cup, would Modric have got it? I don't think so. I think if they had won the World Cup, then yeah, definitely. But didn't they lose like four two? Like yes, France steamrolled them. Yeah, and they beat like an England side that I don't think many people outside of England think are particularly good. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'll... I mean, don't. I mean, it's great for Croatia to do it. Don't get me wrong, but like, yeah, it would be like if England had made it to that final, I wouldn't have put any other English players in there, you know. No, I wouldn't have put Eric Dyer in because he made a World Cup final. <laughs> no, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't have given Kieran Trippier an award for that free kick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like I said, I, I was a big fan of Modric, but I think he's past the peak now, and I think, yeah, I don't think he should have won the Ballon d'Or. No. We'll have to, you know, we'll move on from Modric because, as we yeah, say, he's not in the team of the year discussion. We're yeah. still, we promise, we're not bitter about the World Cup. Got a little sidetrack there. Um, yeah. <laughs> which we start off what I think I, I alluded to him earlier. Um, yeah. I nearly put him in at right back, but instead I put him in at defensive midfielder, and that is uh, Joshua Kimmich from Bayern Munich. Yeah, I, I've got him. In, I've picked him as well. Phenomenal season. Yeah, he's brilliant. Um, as I said, I could keep going on about all the trophies they won, but um, don't think I need to. I'm sure he has very impressive stats as well to go with the trophies. Yeah, I mean, I've got them here. Since the beginning of the 1920 season, he's made 69 appearances. He's kept 26 clean sheets, 11 goals, and 29 assists from a defensive midfielder role. Not as a playmaker, as a, sort of the holding midfielder... Uh, pivot point of Bayern's midfield to get 29 assists that's, that's ridiculous for that yeah. position yeah he's unbelievable um, I think he like you said he's an incredible creator he's a brilliant defender and he can also pop up with a goal like he, he is he is the perfect all-round midfielder um, it's strange yeah. because he plays a right back a lot as well yeah I think he's one of those versatile players that he can just hold down any position in, in a team you know I think he just understands the roles that he's being asked to play and I think that's a key part to it is understanding the, ro the role 
Yeah, he's he's a very intelligent footballer. Um, yeah, which is why he's probably so versatile. Yeah. Well, seeing as we come to such a quick conclusion on Kimmich, let's move on to your next midfielder. Who've you gone for? Uh, well, the next two, um, I've gone for two attacking midfielders, and I, I yeah. think I think again, I think we'll probably agree with it. And yeah. the first one I've gone with is Bruno Fernandez at Man United. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. You know, kind of contradicting what I said, where I, don't, I, you know, I don't think they actually won any trophies last year, but he was so, you know, individually talented, and as we've seen, he's pretty much turned United into title contenders based yeah. off just his own performances. You know, I think for goals and assists, he's done brilliantly, and again, I think any team in the world would want him right now. That that's how good he is. Yeah, I mean. To see a player just come into a struggling team and turn them into certain, into a, a fearsome team again, that you know just his the standard he holds is ridiculous, and he's bringing players up to his level around him. You know, a lot most of the United players now look like top players. Again, you know, Luke Shaw is coming into a really good vein of form. Because this midfield is almost marshalled by Fernandez and the covers there, and the whole Man United team has looked better since Fernandez came in. Yeah, I think he's a leader as well. I think, yeah. You know, so we can talk about stats all day, but I think there are certain players that just have that kind of, I don't know, aura around them where you know they're gonna just put the team on their back and just carry him forward. And I think Bruno's one of those players. And yeah, I mean, you you mentioned the stats, and I'll allude to them. Since the beginning of the nineteen twenty season, he's made seventy nine appearances, and has sixty eight goal contributions, which you know he's not not too far off that one goal contribution a game rate, and that's just ridiculous from midfield. Again, okay. playing in a a not great team as well. Yeah, playing in a team that at times has looked terrible. Um, 43 goals as well in of those you know 79 appearances 43 goals that's a great record yeah he's brilliant and, and i'm a look sure plenty of them are penalties but he's still got a score him and i'm sure he's yeah. creating the opportunities for man united to get awarded penalties as well yeah yeah um move on to the final midfield and as you said i think i'm gonna have to i think we'll be in agreement on this i think he's been by far and away one of the best midfielders in the Premier League, uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, you know, by his standards, was a slightly less productive season. Yeah. But I think he's still brilliantly um, performed, and I think he is up there with the top midfielders in the world and definitely should be in the inclusion for this team and probably yeah. the next couple of teams in the years. Yeah, I mean, 19, the nineteen twenty season, he tied the record for league assists with 20. Um, again, it just points out how difficult it is to do that, considering it's only him and Thierry Henry who've done it. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he's a fantastic player. Um, I, he's more of a creative midfielder, but I do think he works pretty hard for the team as well, off the ball. Yeah. And I yeah. think, again, I think, actually, I think that midfielder, of, uh, that midfield of Kimmich, Bruno and... Kevin De Bruyne would be the best midfielder in the world. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. incredible for you to have. Yeah, because De Bruyne shows that willingness to track back at times. We're going to caveat that with at times. But yeah. he certainly has 
a high, you know, he wants to go and win the ball back. And Bruno Fernandes shows the same thing when it's not going so well. He'll track back and try and make a tackle and launch a counter. But, you know, De Bruyne's already on 10 assists this season with 17 games played. So he's looking at a high assist tally again. Yeah, he could easily go and get the record again or even break it another time. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, frankly, phenomenal numbers. He's a phenomenal player. Again, similar to uh, Bruno Fernandes and other players we've alluded to, like you said about Thiago, I think that the second assist numbers and key pass numbers, I don't have them to hand, unfortunately, but for De Bruyne would be phenomenal Yeah. as well. It, his vision is incredible. Yeah, I think, you know, an honourable mention should go to, you know, someone like Thomas Muller, who played really yeah. well. But I think just the individual accolades and, like you said, the stats back it up, you know, how well, you know, De Bruyne and Bruno did for their individual teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, Muller, just a word on him, he would be... He, I still think he's criminally underrated and always has been. He's not out of this world in sort of any one department but his game his understanding of the game again it's a, he's a smart footballer he knows where to be and he knows he's so good at doing the simple things that he actually makes the game look easy and he's his game is developing as he's getting older and maybe he's getting a bit sl- a bit slower he's dropping a bit deeper and he's still fantastic yeah i mean for me i've always preferred him in like a number 10 role or in midfield i think he's he's fantastic to watch and uh he's a very funny man as well so uh yeah that, that gets him a yeah. couple bonus points <laughs> yeah uh moving on then front three who have you got dan um where we start in right wing we'll start on the right yeah um i mean i love him uh i've gone with him he's probably been in the team of the year for probably a decade now if not longer um i've yeah. gone with uh, Lionel messi yeah i've got him as well I can agree with you on that. Again, in a poor Barcelona side, a very poor side, and he still put up really good numbers, I think. And I, I think it's yeah. just it's hard to look past Messi, and I suspect we've probably got the same um, other forwards alongside him. They're just yeah. uh, fantastic individual talents. Yeah, I mean, since be- the beginning of the 1920 season, he's had 66 appearances in all competitions, 45 goals, 33 assists. He's averaging, I mean, he's averaging 4.8 shots a game in a 1920 season. Currently this season, he's averaging 5.9 shots per game in a, when he's clearly not happy. I mean, how anyone can ever overlook Messi. He's arguably, he's definitely the greatest player that I've ever seen play. He's arguably the greatest player of all time in terms of what he brings to a team, in terms of his ability on the ball. And I think holding the lack of a World Cup against him, I think, is perhaps a bit misguided. Yeah, I think when the only bad thing you can say about someone is they haven't won a World Cup, that shows you how good a player he is. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, I did mention it earlier. I think for PSG, if their league season hadn't, you know, been curtailed early, maybe Mbappé Mbappé and Neymar might have been able to get their numbers up and be in the conversation. But even then, I still think neither of them get past Messi. No, not at all. Um, 
Moving on then, central striker. I've gone for, I think, probably the most lethal number nine in world fo- football at the moment is Robert Lewandowski. Yeah, I agree. Um, if we were doing uh, a player of the year, he'd probably be my player of the year as well. Yeah. I think he, hey. he did Messi and Ronaldo numbers, and not many players can do that. And he is, like you said, just an absolutely clinical striker. Well, I've I've got the stats here. You know, since the beginning of the nineteen twenty season, Messi hit forty five goals, Cristiano Ronaldo hit fifty seven, and Lewandowski hit eighty one in all competitions. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. That is, that is, you know, he doesn't contribute as much in terms of assists, but when you got him as such a goal scoring threat, why why would you want that I mean, considering he scored that many goals despite taking less shots per game than Messi and Ronaldo, that just points to the accuracy of his shooting as well. That you know, he knows where the target is. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, he is in a lot of ways kind of the perfect number nine. And like I said, I think he was, you know, the player of the year as well, as well as being the, the striker in the team of the year. I think he was the best player in world football and. Again, he scored that many goals. He won that many trophies. I don't think there's anything you can really say to discredit him. Yeah, it's it's a, a null argument. There is no doubt. I know that you know some people still put Harry Kane in the in the talk that you know performed 18 goals in a struggling Tottenham side. Currently has 12 goals and 11 assists in a much better Tottenham side this season. But he's he's not putting up those sort of numbers. No, I mean I like Harry Kane, but I think anyone who's trying to compare him to Lewandowski is ridiculous, to be honest. Or they're all yeah. they're just Spurs fans. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd have to agree with that. Um, but moving on to the final position, who've gone for your left winger? Um, I've gone with Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, a familiar front three, I think. Yeah, he is one of the best players in the world. Always has been. And I know he's getting older. He's maybe not putting up numbers as good as he used to, but he's still, you know, he's still up there, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's a phenomenal player, but I've actually put Mbappe as a left winger. Really? Yeah, I, you know, Ronaldo just again. It's kind of why you've why you said about Marquinhos. Ronaldo going to Juve and playing for Juve, who you expect to win the league title. Okay, the same with PSG. Yeah, PSG. I don't think you can make that argument for PSG. <laughs> but PSG reaching the Champions League final is the, you know, again, that kind of weighs into this. I As well, I actually think that Juventus, having seen them play, it became an almost Ronaldo route one tactic. He's so good that... Ren- I think that they changed the style of play to fit Ronaldo rather than Ronaldo changing to fit the system that was already there. Whereas Mbappe fits the PSG system so well and, you know, considerably more assists than Ronaldo, slightly less goals, but less games as well. And I think to be so close with seven less games over the last season and a half, I, I had to go for Mbappe. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I, I just, I'm a big fan of Ronaldo and I just think how good he is on his day. I think he is better than Mbappe right now. And 
you know, I understand that. I think PSG definitely are unlucky not to have more players in um, because I do agree that them reaching a Champions League final uh, is terrific for them, even if they have spent so much money. Um, and that, hence why I very uh, sillyly put uh, Marquinhos in. But for me, I just think Ronaldo is brilliant. And I, I remember the Champions League game where they played Atletico Madrid and I think they were 2-0 down going into the second leg. I might be getting this slightly wrong, but I think they were 2-0 down going into the second leg and he scored a hat-trick to get them through to the next round. And I just think, you know, that's the kind of player you want that will just carry your team around and just dominate a game and get you through. You know, where was Mbappe in the Champions League final? I mean, Ronaldo wasn't oh, there either. But... <laughs> no, <laughs> at least Mbappe made it. Yeah, but I mean, I, I just think Mbappe is brilliant. But um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm always going to go with Ronaldo until he stops putting up incredible numbers. Yeah, I, I can understand numbers, and you know, with a more statistical approach. If I was going just purely on numbers and nothing else, then yeah, Ronaldo would be in. But I think I was just part for his assists. You know, that creative side that Ronaldo doesn't seem to have as much anymore again maybe due to slightly different systems um i just think that mbappe just edged it for me yeah i mean i can understand that i think like i said i I do think mbappe is a really good player i just i prefer that just individual talent of ronaldo and i think maybe it's also a bit of his sort of history that's maybe making me lean towards him still i still think as as a fantastic a career as mbappe's already had you know, Ronaldo is going to be up there for, you know, the, one of the best players in the world. I think he recently yeah. broke the, you know, most amount of goals ever scored in a player career. Yeah, yeah there is um, there's some controversy over that. I think the Czech FA, is it the Czech FA? I'm just saying that Joseph Bishan has more, um, about 50 or 60 goals more. But that is, you know, it's all, we'll have to see that again. Yeah, I think, I think in that? the official statistics, he's got more. It's a bit yeah. like the Brazil FA saying that Pele's goals and friendlies should count, you know? Yeah. I mean, if we're including goals and friendlies, I still think Ronaldo would probably be up there. He probably, but... he probably would, yeah. Here's the thing for Pele, though, just as a caveat. You didn't... Ronaldo didn't lose to Plymouth Argyle, so... Yeah, yeah, that famous game where Argyle beat Santos yeah. 3-2, I think. Yeah. And, uh... He said, I don't think Ronaldo has ever played against us. But um No. No, don't think he even knows who they are. No, definitely not. <laughs> but there we have it. Our two teams of the years. Please do let us know what you think of our teams on Twitter. As we said, the Twitter handle will be in the description of this podcast. Who do you think has the more mental pick? Is it me with bringing Robertson in over Davies or Dan putting Marquinhos at centre half? Like, can I just put PSG in instead of Marquinhos? <laughs> can we just write PSG next to Van Dyke? Yeah, well, that's why he's can't. in there. Okay. <laughs> but and as well, let that Mbappe and Cristiano Ronaldo debate rage on in the comments. Who do you think should have been in there as the eleventh man? Um, and we will now move on to predictions for the week. Right, so here we are again at the end of the podcast. As we said, we're going to quickly go through our predictions. We've picked out two marquee games, starting with Thursday, where Tottenham 
host Liverpool. What are you thinking, Dan? Yeah, I mean, if you'd asked me this a month or so ago, I maybe would have expected it maybe a more comfortable win for Liverpool. But as we've seen, they've really come off it, you know, the last couple of weeks. Yeah. They're, they're struggling defensively, I think, a bit more than they were. And they're not yeah. scoring goals. And I think Jose Mourinho will be looking at that misfiring team. He'll be a little annoyed from the last time they played each other. So I I think I could see a, a, a Mourinho masterclass, if you want to call it that. Shithousery, you mean? Yeah, it, it depends on how polite you want to be to Mourinho. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I'm honestly, I'm going to say 1-0 to Tottenham. And I yep. think it will be like, like Liverpool will concede an own goal or it will be a deflection or something like that. And Spurs are just going to park the bus and really frustrate Liverpool, I think. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I'm a Liverpool fan. I've mentioned it enough times. My team of the year picks showed my bias, if you want to believe that sort of thing. Um, but I have to agree with you. I'm going 2-0 Tottenham. Liverpool are shaky. Uh, they're not on the best of scoring form. They did get two in the FA Cup against United, but it was three two loss. So against a team that is definitely going to sit back, um, as Mourinho does against the big teams, Liverpool have no plan B. It's going to be like it's going to be like throwing a stone against the wall. It's not going to break down. And I think that Tottenham, the form that Kane and Son are in together. I think Tottenham are just going to be able to pick them off quite easily against a, you know, a rickety defence, as we said. So I'm going 2-0 Tottenham. Yeah, as much I, as I, I think being away from home as well makes it a lot harder for yeah. Liverpool. I think their away form has been really bad recently. Yeah. So, yeah, I think definitely a Spurs win. Yeah. Uh, moving on sharply then, uh, we've also got Arsenal versus Manchester United. What are your thoughts? Well, um, Arsenal, obviously the last team to beat Manchester United. So I think it could be a little bit of a grudge match. I think Man United will want to prove that they are title contenders. And against an Arsenal side, which is improving, but um, I don't think is quite um, you know at the consistent level that they need to be at. I think I'm going to go with a, a United win. United I think, win, I th- yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be like 2-0 to United, I think. I don't think it'll be completely comfortable, but um, I, th- I think they'll definitely win it. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to predict a United win as well, as much as I hate to. Um, but I think they'll win 2-1. Because Arsenal have looked a lot better with their young players. Um, yeah. But again, as we say, United are in fantastic form. And uh, it's it would be difficult to bet against them for this. You know, an Arsenal team that aren't playing their best. They have looked better, but they're still not brilliant. They still look a little shaky at times. So, and I think United being so strong at the moment, um, yeah, it's going to be risky again. I wouldn't bet against United at the moment unless they have a severe drop-off, a calamitous fall, then I would expect that United come away with the win. But I think Arsenal might just be able to nick one, just capitalise on perhaps Harry Maguire not being in the best of form at the moment. Yeah, I think for United, I think they will eventually drop off. Uh, Like I said, uh, we predicted a couple weeks ago, I think City will go on to win the title. But I think United, for them, it's just about keeping this form going for as long as possible. And I think they will keep up against Arsenal. 
Um, yeah, but no, I, I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park, but I think they will get the win. Yeah, I mean, again, we'll have to wait to Thursday and the weekend to see, but until then, we do hope to keep yourself safe, do doing everything you need to keep, keep yourself happy during a tough time, but until then, we'll see you next week.